0: Yep, people, you know it. Thursday, <laughs> <laughs> Thursday, March 9th. G-Swizzle here, joined by EY from SoFi. Dan, I think, is on a plane. Maybe he's gotten off it. I have no idea. Going to Parts Unknown, a much-needed and much-deserved, uh, well-deserved vacation for him and his family. But this is Market Call. It's 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Today's Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course... Sofi, get your money right all in one app and i'm just gonna say it now butters that's it just so you know we got a little butters coming to not him in the flesh unfortunately but butters work ey how are you and this before we even start this whole um show today i had a great opportunity to spend some time with you yesterday and you were outstanding not only in the um Panel that you did with Stephanie Link at all yesterday at the Yale Club. But then we, you, myself, and Dan went to Currents' office and we did about a 45 minute little QA discussion with them, and you were outstanding.
1: Thank you. Hi, everybody. Here we are again, unsupervised. (laughs) You know what's going to happen next week? Do you remember one year ago from next week? What happened? We did a show.
0: Oh, we did the whole thing on St. Patrick's Day and we so, brought
1: props. Uh uh-huh. Remember guess that what's, whole thing? Guess what's and we out didn't out in even rehearse kitchen. it. No. Nope. I don't know if I have Guinness this time, but the the props, the other props are out in the kitchen. So everybody look forward to that because we're unsupervised next week too, right?
0: It's so good. I just mean, two of us. We, even if we're not, we should be because just yeah. for that alone. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we did that, I mean, we didn't rehearse and <laughs> you know, unscripted I said, and this and you <laughs> put it up. And it was just, I mean, it's for, for nothing else. You should watch market call for that. Yeah. Look, there's a lot to talk about today. I mean, let's look at the headlines. This, you know, this jobs, number, whatever uh, number came out today was a little worse than expected. So Mm -hmm. in our world right now, worse is better. And I know, you know, this, but in the knee jerk reaction, a market that was probably down marginally in the pre-market then subsequently traded higher, we saw some of the follow through early. Now we're starting to sell off a little bit uh, on the back of whatever. I think maybe the realization that, you know, bad news might actually be bad news. But we're going to talk about the jobs number tomorrow. But what do you make of this? Is this a good Is this a good sign in so much as the Fed's job is starting to work or things are starting to sort of take hold?
1: I wouldn't take this as as a sign yet, but here's the interesting part. So Jerome Paul, as we all know, testified in front of Congress earlier this week and said things like the totality of the data is going to determine what they do at the next meeting. The market subsequently baked in a 50 basis point hike. I think the probability of that according to the market now is about 65 to 70%. So that's pretty high and it flipped very quickly from 25 basis points to 50 basis mm-hmm. points. But here's the interesting part. So much data is going to come in before that meeting. He obviously knew that. We already got JOLTS data after the testimony. We got initial claims today. We're going to get NFP tomorrow. We've got CPI on Tuesday. I mean, it just those four prints alone are huge and that's all happening in less than a week. So There's a lot that we still have to take in. The initial claims data, and and this is the way I look at it as a macro strategist, initial claims are like almost like Morse code. It's just kind of like a a tick, a dot that happens every once in a while. They're so high frequency Mm -hmm. and they're so susceptible to quick swings in one direction or another. This is one of those data points that you cannot look at one piece of it and say, oh, the trend is beginning. Look at continuing claims. Those have continued to go up, no pun intended. Those have continued to go up slowly, but they've risen and they're at their highest level since I think last year, or maybe even 2021. So yeah. something to just pay attention to. But I don't know that this initial claims data is something that we should extrapolate into what's going to happen tomorrow morning.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And it's interesting. You're still seeing two to one in terms of job openings uh, right. versus people that are looking for a job, which is a staggering number when you think about it. I mean, it's been that way for quite some time. So on that metric alone, it seems like the Fed's job is, continues to be difficult. So as to your point, though, we're going to get a lot of different data points over the next week, week and a half. And I do think as important as tomorrow is, you know, some of the inflation numbers out next week will be equally important. I'm of the belief, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, but so many of the inputs uh, that go into this number have started to trend higher once again. So I think there's this yep. hope that things will continue to sort of gravitate, which means go lower. Gravity brings things down. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it feels like things are starting to trend, if not back up, at least flatlining. And flatlining is not particularly good, I don't think, for the Federal Reserve that still has a lot of work to do. Thoughts on that?
1: That's right. Well, and here's why we call services inflation sticky, because it doesn't go down as easily. You can't affect Mm -hmm. it. And back to economics 101, what causes inflation? It's an imbalance between supply and demand. So there's two options on how to affect it you can increase supply enough to meet that strong demand. Well, when we've got a shortage of workers, to your point, two to one jobs open by per unemployed person, you can't increase supply because you don't have enough people to provide the services and you don't have enough people to make the widgets. So inflation stays high because of that lack of supply. So you have to bring down demand. So we're stuck in this space where, yes, bad news is good news to some degree. But here's the other thing about the job market, and this is what I want people to watch It's like a boulder that starts to slowly roll down a mountain, right? So we're going to see indications. If if it does, in fact, break, you start to see indications and the boulder starts to go really, really slowly, but then it picks up steam. You can't stop it once it starts rolling. If you look over historical periods of things like the unemployment rate, initial claims, continuing claims, non-farm payrolls, they sort of creep up and then they just spike. So be aware that if we start to see a trend in that direction, it could speed up a lot faster than anybody expects.
0: So that's a great point. Obviously, you only make great points, but (laughs) once it starts to move, and if you think you're going to some, and now I'm talking about the Federal Reserve again, if they think that they'll get unemployment to a certain point, and then they'll be able to stop that boulder, they won't be able to. So the same way that they magically thought they could get inflation and then control it once they got it, now the hope is to sort of, raise unemployment to your point if you can't increase supply you got to kill demand and how do you kill demand well you make things difficult for people and how do you make things difficult for people you watch the unemployment rate go up I mean that's effectively what's going on here but to think they could sort of stop it when it gets to a certain level and using your boulder analogy is as improbable as it was to think they could control inflation once they got that and look I mean I'm not here to beat up the Federal Reserve I do it on a daily basis but that's the thinking behind it, that they can control something that they have zero control over. And you've brought it up a number of times. These construction jobs, they can go away at the drop of a hat. And you're not talking about a few hundred jobs. You're talking about tens of thousands of jobs. And as quickly as things seem robust, that can go away in a nanosecond. And quite frankly, I mean, it takes a long time for those for that that tide to turn the other way. So that's, I think you make a great point. I just wanted to amplify it a bit, EY.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing, thank you. The other thing that you want to look at is unemployment spikes very quickly right before a recession. It takes a lot longer for it to come back down. So it goes up, it's almost a reverse roller coaster, right? It goes up this really steep trajectory and then it sort of slides back down. So it takes a while. If, if you get up to an uncomfortable level of unemployment, it takes a long time for it to get back down to what we would consider a healthy labor market. So I do think that, you know, the Fed has gotten a lot of criticism. I would say, I don't know that there's a Fed and maybe you tell me, I mean, you've been around just a couple years longer than I have. Has there been a Fed that hasn't made a mistake? Yeah. Has there Has there been a Fed administration that's done it right all the way through?
0: Yeah, that's a great. I mean, people obviously will point to Paul Volcker, but I will tell you, having lived through it to a certain degree, there were not a lot of Paul Volcker fans at the time. And, you know, but to your point, probably not. And, you know, here's the conversation, really. And this is for another show at another time, and it's much longer. And the question that I would posit to a lot of people shouldn't should there be a Federal Reserve, if you think about it? I mean, what is really the role? I mean, are they trying to control things, quite frankly, that they have no control over? I would submit. And again, incorrectly, probably, that if you just let market forces actually work and if you let capitalism work the way it's sort of constructed to do, yeah, there are going to be periods of time where you need somebody to come in and pull a circuit breaker or sort of slow the tide, but not at every frigging turn and with every market permutation. So that would be my pushback there. And I think there are a lot of people that would agree with me, but I think that's neither here nor there, as they say.
1: Yeah, well, sometimes transparency can be too transparent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the world we're living in right now. Every single word that comes out of Jerome Powell's mouth can move the market 500 points. And it's that's just, honestly, that's no way to live. Uh, no. and, and we're kind of stuck in this this fight. It's, it's also difficult when you have a week like this week where you have a, a down day that's really violent after some comments by Jerome Powell. It's difficult to look at a day like that, step back and still see whatever that saying is, the forest for the trees or whatever. We're so buried in this day-to-day minutiae. We're buried in every single data point. And that's why I sort of downplay, even though it would actually support my thesis that this initial jobless claim spike is, you know, oh, it's it's happening the way I expect. But I'm downplaying it because it's such a high-frequency piece. You never know what happens next week. I don't trust it yet.
0: I agree. So let's take a look at the S&P just for context. I mean, yeah, it feels like we've had a lot of movement, but effectively we're we're sideways now for quite some time. Yeah, it's a move to the upside, downside. That 39.40 level, that S&P level we traded down to a week or so ago, uh, that was a 200-day moving average. Dan and I have outlined it with Liz as well a number of times. We bounced off it in a pretty significant way. I think we got up to forty, eighty or so, and that actually triggered, I don't want to say a response mechanism from Mike Wilson, but I think he said to himself, all right, you know, technically, we did what we did. We held. We're going to see a pretty robust bounce here. And he made a call earlier this week that we highlighted, maybe 41.50 or so. And and we posited here to use the word again. Is he being too cute? And that's not me being derogatory. You know, I was just questioning whether or not you want to be that tactical in the course of what's going on. But here we are again. So we're about 40 or so handles away from that 39.40 level. The question is, what happens? You know, and I'm not asking Liz to play stock market here, but. This is how I would look at it. This is how I would trade it. I mean, let the lines speak for themselves. If today's one of those days where we hold and then tomorrow you get a bad number, bad number being obviously worse than expected, worse than expected, possibly being bullish for the market, maybe you have another trading opportunity. The converse, obviously, and Goldman Sachs put out a note in terms of potential outcomes, you know, a, a, jo- a jobs number north of 500,000, they thought the market could go down 2.5%. I mean, I think they're guessing like everybody else, but that's the way you have to sort of game it out. You know, in line is probably good enough to get a bounce. But if you see some robust numbers unexpectedly that Mm -hmm. continue to show stickiness and the tightness of the labor market, I would submit that 200-day moving average is in jeopardy and that trend line is as well. And, you know, I know you don't look like nearly as close to this stuff as Dan and I do. But, you know, is that sort of accurate in terms of how I'm looking at this thing, EY?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, the numbers on the jobs report are always unexpected because the estimates are so bad. They're so far off. I think they've been off. They've underestimated jobs added for 10 months in a row, something like that. So I'm going to say that their batting average is poor, if not deserves to Mm -hmm. go back down to the minors. Uh, Here's what I think could happen. Let's say we get stronger jobs than expected tomorrow or at least marginally stronger than last month. And we have a hot CPI report on Tuesday. Yes, I think we'd blow through that 200-day moving average pretty easily and are on our way down. If we get an inline jobs report and a CPI report that shows some progress even on services, I think that's a rally. I think mm-hmm. the market wants so badly to rally. But here's the thing. And to your point about Mike Wilson and, and making a tactical call, I often think about meteorologists and strategists as – uh, sometimes a similar profession. If I were to come on and say in the beginning of January, you know what, it's going to feel like spring for the next 15 days. Get excited about it. Okay, fine, get excited about it. The reality is it's still January, it's still winter, all right? I'm not going to try to make a call that, that that's that quick on the upside because that means I also have to be right on the out, right? When the inflection point hits again. So, that was, I think that's the tricky part about Mm -hmm. Mike's call is that, yes, he's positive in the near term, but he also then has to be right on the other side. Because if he's told people that it's going to rally, they're probably going to buy on the back of that, then he better be ready to tell them to sell. And I think that that is nearly impossible to figure out, especially in a time, to my point earlier, when we are obsessed every single day with every single data point. So, Look, we could go. Honestly, I, I think it's a coin flip On yeah. the, in the next three days of which direction we go here. I still, though, don't think that it changes things over the next three to six months.
0: I agree with that. And so let price be your guide. I say that all the time. It, it pisses people off. But and let me ask you a quick question, because this has always confused me. I don't know if you have the answer to this, so I apologize ahead of time. When you okay. see these meteorologists come up and say we have a high pressure system, uh. high pressure to me means that it's. It's high pressure, like you feel things on top of you. If heat rises, my sense is a high pressure system is a cold front coming through, and a low pressure system, meaning heat rises, means that a warm front is coming through. Is that accurate, or am I out of my effing mind?
1: I I always, I mean, I guess I never thought of it that thoroughly but i always thought a high pressure system meant that we were going to have a bright clear day usually it happened in winter so that would be a cold bright day i think they call that a bluebird day i don't ski but you know something like that Uh, yeah i always thought high pressure was actually a pretty looking day Uh right blue skies sunshine but that's what we do that's
0: what we do (laughs) let's quickly look at the ndx because why not it's going to look similar um it's interesting Again, you know, Apple continues to show some relative strength. NVIDIA, it, we're not going to get bogged down in that, but that continues to defy logic. In my opinion, Google has found at least a bottom for now, it appears as though that's the case. The interesting name, Tesla, quite frankly, you know, that move from 218 now below 180. I think it's caught a lot of people off guard, but this is the same thing. I mean, it looks a little healthier, I guess, because we haven't given up like the S&P has, but- I still think we're vulnerable here. We don't have to get bogged down. it, But what I want to look at are yields because that continues to be, I think, top of mind for a lot of people. So if we look at the yield chart quickly, I mean, we saw a 2s, 10s invert to the tune of, I think, 110 basis points. Today it's probably closer to maybe 103 or so. Blew through that 100. Here's the chart that we drew. We're not suggesting we're right, but we've pushed up against a certain level in 10 year this is the way i look at this liz and please push back or you know give your theory on this thing i think that if in fact the market does start to sell off and people realize that this economy is slowing in a meaningful way i think almost by definition 10 year yields should go lower on top of that mm-hmm. you might see a flight to quality in the form of 10 year yields in the form of the bond market which would take yields lower so I think at these level, and I'm just talking about tenure now, sort of longer data maturities, I actually think there's a chance that bonds rally and yields go down, but they don't go down for particularly good reasons. One of the reasons is because there's a flight to quality on the back of an equity sell-off. Thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. Well, so I think the big question mark is this, is it, we're going to see CPI data obviously on Tuesday. If that comes in hotter than expected, you're going to see inflation expectations rise. I've talked about that a few times in the last few weeks. Inflation expectations since the beginning of the year have spiked quite a bit across all of the maturity. So if you look at two-year expectations, five-year and 10-year, but two-year in particularly has spiked, which started to tell the market the Fed has lost control of inflation, at least in the near term. If there starts to be a sell-off, this is and this goes back to actually the previous chart of the NASDAQ, I think I said this in January at some point. I'll have to go back through the archives on YouTube. I expect this year to, if we see sell-offs, right, if we see drawdowns, and especially one of the type that you and I and Dan are expecting, I think it's going to hit cyclicals harder. So that doesn't mean that the NASDAQ won't fall in a drawdown. But I think last year, given that it was such a rate-driven volatility environment is going to be different than what we see this year, even if it is a volatility environment. So you're going to see different sectors sell off in a pullback. That's why there have been some points in days this week, even where you see the Dow down, but the NASDAQ up. Even last week that happened a couple of times. So you see things in the cyclical area falling harder than things in tech communications and discretionary. As far as the 10 year yield, this is where I think it's going to get interesting because if yields fall due to fear, The 10 year definitely will fall due to fear. People buy it out of just being scared, right? But I think the short end falls as well. And the answer that I don't know is which one falls faster, right? right? Does that actually start? I think it actually would bring us uh, into less of an inversion, meaning I think the short end would start to fall faster. But here's the other thing, guys. This is where I think we get stuck in one dimensional thought processes. You might think, oh, that's good, right? The yield curve is re steepening, everything's going to. Be better going forward. The re steepening of the yield curve is actually usually what happens right before a recession mm-hmm. or when the recession starts. So, that would be my guess that if we go into fear because of a downturn or we start to confirm that a recession might happen, I think you do see yields fall across the curve, but you see the short end fall faster, which makes the inversion less. less I'm glad steep.
0: you brought that up. You mentioned that yesterday as well. It's a great point. By the way, um, Jacob, pulled this up. David Grisco says, Got to wonder when guy found time to study in school. Always on a tangent. Yes, David, you're right. I don't know how my mind works. There are few people. I'm sure they will study it at some point. But as you will see in a few minutes, I can pull shit out of nowhere. Um, And it's fascinating to me. With that said, speaking of pulling shit out of nowhere, and we are going to talk about the banks, by the way, a lot of people asking. Let's go to your note because once again, Uh, You've pulled a proverbial (laughs) rabbit out of the hat with this shoots and ladders.
1: Shoots and ladders. And by the way,
0: I will tell you, um, I know this was a game. I didn't play this game. Red light, green light, however, one, two, three was a game that we played. Now, for the folks watching this, my sense is 97% of the people have no idea. But red light, green light, one, two, three, just for the folks playing our home game. One person stands at one side of, let's say, a basketball court or something like that and turns around and closes their eyes and then five or six people are on the other end and that person says the one person says red light green light one two three and on three those people have better stopped running towards him or her otherwise they're out uh that's how we entertained ourselves in the 1960s yeah. And
1: yeah well look it didn't get much more advanced in the 80s and 90s i mean i did a lot of kick the can Uh, red light green light although there was no one two three we did red rover all kinds Ah, of stuff this is what you did in the streets of wisconsin
0: yes noted anywho Uh, please game,
1: game theme this week, shoots and ladders. And this goes back to the earlier point that we are so data dependent, we're obsessed. No matter what the point is, it either takes us down a chute very quickly, or we make another notch on a ladder. We go up another rung, excuse me, on a ladder. A notch would be on a belt. Mm -hmm. Up a rung on a ladder. So that's why I called it shoots and ladders. And then we start with red light, green light, because that's also how this feels, right? What happened this week? We had Fed commentary. We had a testimony. And look at how flip-flopped the probabilities of 25 basis points to 50 basis points went in a matter of like literally 15 to 20 minutes. So it happened so fast, turned into a red light very quickly for the market. My point of this whole column was that there are actually quite a few data points that changed considerably in the last week. So we've kind of been watching a slow moving beast in a lot of these different areas. And then suddenly we had a few that changed a lot. You mentioned construction employment. And I know I mentioned this on one of our panels yesterday. If you look at the JOLTS data, the JOLTS data, yes, there's still a lot of jobs open. There's still 5.1 million more jobs than people available to fill them. So the labor market is still tight. Make no mistake. However, the quits rate came down. And just think about that from the University of Common Sense. If you are no longer as confident that you'll find a new job, you're not going to quit the one you have. So fewer people are quitting. That's an indication. The other thing is that construction jobs open fell 49% month over month. Now, you might think to yourself, well, these are January numbers. Not as many people are building houses in January. The funny part about that is that go and find a headline. Everybody's going to tell you that January was seasonally warm. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they should have been building houses, right? You have to start to line up the things that don't make sense. And yes, January is probably usually a lighter month for building houses, the reason, though, that construction employment matters is because it tends to lead the broader labor market, and the correlation between those two is tight. So construction employment starts to weaken. You'll see the broader labor market usually follow within, I would say, three to six months. So keep your eyes on that.
0: One of the games I like playing as a kid as well was Operation. Um, frustrating as hell. Obviously, some of the pieces easier to get out than others. It's one of those things you wound up breaking invariably or losing, like, you know, Adam's rib or the friggin' rubber band. But, you know, I digress yet again. I probably have one of the games lying around. And if the bulb burnt out on the operation victim's nose, then you were shit out of luck. Anyway,
1: yeah. talk I didn't to me really about like this, this game. I didn't like operation. It wasn't, it wasn't my jam. I didn't really understand what the objective was. You just tried to take the bones out and like, how do you win? I, I didn't get it. It wasn't, I didn't like it, but this, this was my point about construction employment. So look at how tightly those lines track each other. You've got the total employment in the dark blue line and construction, in the light blue line, that drop, this recent drop obviously stands out. So it's been pretty volatile for the last few months, but that is a much bigger drop by a magnitude of two times than Mm -hmm. what we've seen in the last few months. And I think that that probably more than initial jobless claims, this is probably the canary in the coal mine. So this is definitely something to watch.
0: But Guy, wait, I want to
1: tell, go Go ahead. ahead. Tell the folks
0: at home, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to tell them, I used a few, I mean, I did play Chutes and Ladders. I was a big fan of that one. My cousin also was a big fan. I did not play Operation. I did play Red Light, Green Light. My favorite game as a kid, and I thought I was going to save this as like a big reveal for our viewers, which will still be a big reveal, Guy guessed it before he even said. It. He said, "I know what your favorite game was. It was Candyland." I don't even know how you knew that. It's true, though. It was Candyland. I wanted to play it every single day.
0: Because, as I've told people, the cheapest thing you can do is pay attention. So, over the but course when of when have the I last talked about
1: couple... Candyland? I've never talked about candy. No,
0: you haven't. But you know, you as you say, you got to connect dots, and there are all these little different data points, and you get, it's all puzzle. It's a pastiche. It's a mosaic. That I'm able to sort of put together. You need to pay attention. For you guys and gals out there that again, pay attention. You'd be shocked at what you can learn. Two ears, one mouth. Use them accordingly.
1: <laughs> okay, what only because Dan isn't here, I'm gonna go off on a tangent real quick. I can't believe I'm gonna admit this story. In the game of Candyland, for those of you who don't know, you got to make it through this maze and you sure. gotta get from start to finish, right? And you pull cards along the way that tell you where to put your piece. There was a card. His name was Grumpy. And if you got grumpy, if you pulled the grumpy card, you had to go almost all the way back to the beginning. So when I was a kid, I would get so mad, I was a little competitive. <laughs> I would get so mad that grumpy got came up. I bit the card. No, and you didn't. I bit it. I bit it so many times it had teeth marks in it. So then <laughs> it, turned, it turned into the most identifiable card in the stack and it would come up and I would run. <laughs> <laughs> If it came up, I would run away and refuse to pull it. <laughs> Just quit you must the game. be. And my mom was like, "I oh. don't know what to do with this child." <laughs> no,
0: and your sister was probably—I'm sure she was the one playing by the rules, uh, right? The my petite cousin, one. Yeah, you were the one yeah. with pulling. Yes, oh, pulling was, grumpy cards out of your mouth. I was
1: outside. I was out in the yard at the neighbor's house. Like I don't—I'm not pulling that card anyway. Enough. That's enough fantastic.
0: That. You know what? You must be. Uh, Playing Monopoly with you must be just a, a hoot, as they say. <laughs> anyway, let's take my a emotions
1: look. More under control. Now.
0: A lot of people are looking, talking about Silicon Valley Bank. So we have a yeah. sh- two charts to illustrate what's going on. So this is not a small bank um, by any stretch of imagination. I mean, look at the magnitude of this move today, and look at the amount of volume. It's a forty percent move we're seeing in a bank that probably, as you told me before, market cap is still probably nine billion dollars. So longer term chart just to illustrate the absurdity of this entire thing. And I said to Liz before the show, I mean, this, this could be a DocuSign chart. This could be any number of Kathy Wood's ARC ETF holdings. I mean, that's exactly what it looks like. The only difference here, it's a bank. Now, I'm not suggesting yeah. there's any systemic risk at all. And maybe this is Silicon Valley specific. But one of my concerns has been, you know, the lag effects we see in the economy. Are you starting to see lag effects taking hold In some of these banks, I don't think it's coincidental that some of the big money center banks like the JP Morgan's Bank City down today as well. I I don't want to be an alarmist at all. My sense is this is probably uh, specific to Silicon Valley Bank. But you have to take notice when a significant institution like this is down to the magnitude that is. And you've had some of the metrics in terms of, you know, the offering and stuff and why it is seeing this move. But that's a that's a bit of a shocker here, EY.
1: It is Well, it is a shocker, especially because it's a bank, right? If we were talking about a startup tech stock and we saw a chart like this, although still disappointing if you were an owner of the stock, probably not as surprising to see such big swings, nobody wants to see this in a bank stock. And I think what it's doing is other banks have become guilty by association and there's sort of this now trepidation of, oh my gosh, are, are there banks out there that have capital issues that have liquidity issues? What I will say about that, just to quell some fears, if there are fears, uh, there are tiers of what are called strategically important financial institutions. And a lot of the big banks that you would think of, you can rattle them off, JP Morgan, City, they fall in certain tiers where they're required to keep much more capital uh, than other banks on that list. And even the Bank of New York Mellon, when I worked there, that wasn't even tier one. So if you look at that list, and that's all publicly available, go ahead and look it up. So those banks are required to keep a certain amount of liquidity and capital, capital available. They are better capitalized than they have ever been as a result of 2008-2009, so that we wouldn't go through that again. This, however, some of those stats and, and why this is down to this magnitude. So this bank right now is trading at a market cap just over $9 billion they announced a stock offering, I believe it was 1.25 billion of common stock and 500 million of preferred. So 1.75 billion total, which is almost 20% of their current market cap. So that is a huge offering. In addition to that, they announced a sale of all of their available for sale securities uh, off the balance sheet. So clearly they needed to raise some capital, which then I think made everybody worry that there was a liquidity problem and that they were sort of panicking. It sounds like they've raised enough, but obviously the stock is suffering. And, you know, the other thing I would say about this is when they made this decision, they knew the stock price would suffer, right? It's not as if this is a surprise to them necessarily. And it's an announcement that I'm sure most banks don't want to have to make, Mm -hmm. but they're taking steps in order to prevent hopefully something bigger down the road. I do think the fact that this bank is so exposed to Silicon Valley and I believe, I don't want to speak out of turn here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they provide a lot of financing for small businesses, businesses that are just starting out. So I think that probably their portfolio is a bit more high beta than what you're going to find in the bigger banks.
0: No doubt about it. And the hope, obviously, and watch what I do here on the fly. The hope is those tiers, T-I-E-R-S, don't (laughs) turn into, wait for it tears. See what I did there? Uh,
1: yeah, I think we all see. Yeah,
0: thank you. Before we, <laughs> we before we 5,000, I promised Butters, well, let's pull up Butters, his fact site, earnings, insight. And this, basically, he's looking at the amount of times re- recession has been used during fourth quarter conference calls, numbers above the five year average and the 10 year average. However, it looks like we're declining. Now, I don't necessarily know what to make of that. So I guess it's declining in terms of Uh, the amount of times we hear it, but it's clearly still top of mind. And I say this all the time. I'm not smart enough nor humorless enough to be an economist, um, but for a lot of people, it's a lot worse than that. But it's just interesting to see that maybe that's cooling and maybe that, in fact, is a good sign. Maybe it's one more little nugget that we sort of store away and come back to in a few weeks.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I trust this either. I think that a lot of times the commentary blows like a field of wheat, So the wind Uh. blows a little stronger, everybody kind of leans one direction, the wind changes course, everybody leans the other direction. I think that this is uh, maybe not quite as fickle as consumer sentiment readings, but it's up there with fickle readings. And CEOs realize that if they're the uh, sort of standout turd, I'll call it, Saying that a recession is coming, and everybody else in their sector is saying things are fine, that it's going to make people think that their company is just not prepared or that their company is in a worse position. So I don't know how much I trust the the mention stuff. I think it's interesting as a headline. I don't know how predictive it is of going forward return expectations.
0: You don't want to be a uh, a turd ever. No, um, by no. the way, by no. the way, since everybody says I only pull out bad comments, let's pull up <laughs> shoddy shoddy's comment, who's now said it twice. But since he's, he's being kind to me, shout out to Guy, who single-handedly, one, predicted the triple-digit oil in 2020, two, warned about inflation, saying, be careful what you wish for, biaches." I didn't say that part. He didn't type it. <laughs> and three, uh, predicted triple-digit rate inversion. So thank you for That's paying right. attention. As I mentioned earlier, the cheapest thing you can do, shoddy, shoddy.
1: Yep. And you know what, Guy? You are right. More than you're wrong, and you don't give yourself enough credit. You do a lot of self-deprecating humor and being really sincere. A lot of self-deprecating humor, which I think we all laugh at heartily. But you don't deserve it all. I think that you are right more often than wrong, especially when you get when you pound the table about something. I always think to myself, I bet that I bet that's going to happen. Just right, wait. You know what? Just you're wait, kind of
0: point that. Listen, I appreciate that. In and in our business, you know, it's it's all part and parcel. You're going to be wrong. A lot. I like to illustrate when I'm wrong because. As you know, there are a lot of people out there that will will tell you their track records and how great they are, and they've never had a losing trade. But that doesn't help anybody. I think sometimes by illustrating the bad calls, it's something we can all learn from. But you're kind for pointing it out. So thank you. Uh, Enjoy. You have a happy hour coming up tonight. So good for you. Are you going to be on that, like, Octagon box tomorrow or no? Nope. Nope,
1: not tomorrow. I have halftime tomorrow. I'll be on the IC. Of course you do. Be on the IC from the NYSE.
0: You're going, to be, uh, you're going to be on the IC with the SDs on the NYSE. <laughs> and I'll leave that to the people's imagination. Listen, I want to thank Elizabeth Young, EY from SoFi for joining us. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and SoFi. I want to thank our audience. I hope Dan is now on a beach with whatever um, alcohol he chooses to drink, probably some sort of tequila thing. We won't be back tomorrow unless something bizarre happens, but we will be back on Monday. So Liz, thank you. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you soon, folks.